Welcome to the Campus Outreach Podcast, where we want to equip you to make your college years count for eternity. I am your host, Tyler Rollison, also known as T-Roll, and today joining me on the podcast is a returning star of the Campus Outreach Podcast, Mr. Michael Cody, who is uh, soon to be leaving us here in Campus Outreach Birmingham and moving overseas to serve with Campus Outreach internationally in Johannesburg down in South Africa. Cody, so good to have you back on the pod, man. Great to be back, man. Hey, you, you call me a returning star? Yeah. How many stars did we get, like, review-wise? I want to be able to tell all the, the folks in South uh, Africa who don't understand, like, American <laughs> sports lingo, like, I'm a this-many-star recruit. Yeah. Do you have that info I, You handy? know, I'd say, uh, you know, I'd say, you know, good four-star. Okay. Four-star pod. I thought it was pretty good. So good, but yeah. I'll, always room to improve. Absolutely. Great. Yes. Take it. <laughs> Take what you can get, right? Um, so listen, man, glad to have you back on today. We're going to be, uh, we got a, we got a fun topic to talk about. Well, maybe not fun, uh, but something that I think could be enlightening for our listeners and, um, you know, people who are spending time on campus, whether you're a staff or a student, I think it'd be very beneficial. But before we get into our discussion, Cody, could you tell us a little bit more about your own walk with God? Maybe, you know, I know you went to Samford University as a student, but how did you become a Christian? How did you maybe get involved with campus outreach and make the decisions even to like come on staff and stuff like that? Yeah. Um, if, if I'm sharing that story briefly, what, what I would say is I grew up uh, in Birmingham, lived there my whole life. Um, so went to college in the same city that I grew up in. Um, and I grew up in a home that had one parent who was a Christian, one was not um, until I got to high school. But um, there, there was a strong Christian influence in my house, um, was in church my whole life, was in a, in a solid church my whole life. Um, so I was not one of these people who could say, like, I was completely unfamiliar with Christianity when I started college. Like, I never would have called myself anything besides a Christian. Um, but near the end of high school, um, just some things started happening in my life. Um, so some things were taken away from me, and I, and I went into a pretty dark spot, honestly. Like when I entered college, um, I was pretty depressed. I was questioning a lot of things. I was questioning a lot of these beliefs that had kind of just been put on me for a long time. And so I really didn't know where I was. But again, I still would have called myself a Christian. And then I entered Sanford University, which – you know, everybody's a Christian at Samford, right? Just a right. traditional Southern sure. Baptist college. <laughs> um, but when, when I got to Samford, um, the first day that I was there, the day that I moved in, um, there was a guy who helped me move into my room who I would come to find out was a senior who was involved with campus outreach. And he and the the staff guy at Samford who just moved there, they started hanging out in our freshman dorm um, a lot, multiple times a week. So developed a friendship with them. Eventually, I got into a Bible study um, with this guy, and it was in that Bible study that I realized that, man, I, I, I don't have the relationship with Jesus that I always would have claimed to. I saw something so different in people's lives who really were Christians than my mm -hmm. own. Um, so I was starting to become pretty convinced that, like, man, I don't know the Lord. Um, mm -hmm. And soon after that, it was actually spring break of my freshman year. The staff guy, he actually went on our spring break trip with us down to Gulf Shores, which I thought was really odd at first because I'm like, you know, spring break, Gulf Shores. What's the Christian guy doing? Outreach yeah. staff. <laughs> um, but he was cool enough that I was cool with it. So, mm -hmm. and, But I'll, I'll never forget. I mean, it's a little bit of a side note, but like the first night we were there, we were eating at Lulu's, you know, Jimmy Buffett's sister's restaurant. 
and we're all sitting around this table and Jonathan wasn't there. Like he just, he disappeared. But then I looked over at the bar and he's sitting at the bar and he's not drinking. He's actually sharing the gospel with two guys. Interesting. At the yeah. bar at, yeah. at Lulu's in Gulf Shore. So that was like my first experience with, with that. Yeah. Um, and I was like, man, he's, he's bold. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> but there was something that happened on that trip to where the, uh, the, it was one of the last days we were down there and, and Jonathan asked me and a couple of um, my friends who were there, if we wanted to go out on the porch and listen to a sermon with them, um, which honestly I really didn't cause it was spring break. But again, <laughs> uh, there's enough of a people pleaser thing in me that I said, sure. Sure. But man, that, that that sermon was the thing that really um, opened my eyes to the gospel. It was Tim Keller's sermon on the prodigal son. Mm. And, um, man, I, I still can't explain it to this day, but, but there was something about that sermon where I really realized not just the state that I was in, in my rebellion against the Lord, but also just the immense love that he had in Christ and what he had accomplished in my place. And... Um, I don't know. It's like after growing up around Christianity for so long, it was like the essence of it finally clicked. And, and soon thereafter um, is when I would say I repented and, and trusted Christ. And so that was near the end of my, my freshman year and um, still continued to struggle with a lot of the same things, a lot of the same sins, even a lot of the same doubts. Um, but as I was discipled um, through a couple guys in campus outreach, um, just learned how to walk with God and learned how to deal with my heart and learned how to detect what was true and what was not. And so I would say I very much came from a, what I would call a cultural Christian background that the Lord brought me into true faith from. Gotcha. I'm so glad you said that, man. And it's so great to hear your story. So I appreciate you sharing that. Um, That phrase you said at the end is actually our topic for today. We're talking about cultural Christianity. So, for the sake of definition and for everyone who's listening, can you describe what, when we say cultural Christianity or a cultural Christian, what exactly are we talking about here? Yeah, uh, the way I would define it, just really simply, I would say a, a cultural Christian is, and I put Christian in quotation marks, is is somebody who identifies as a Christian, they'll call themselves a Christian, and they might even be engaging in religious things without actually being a Christian, um, and so, and it's cultural in the sense that it's, it's culturally popular or even maybe like the majority of culture identifies this way. So like in the South, particularly, I saw this recently, I think in, in the South, still 76% of Southerners in the U S still identify as Christian. So that so would be, go. that would be something there. Yeah. Okay. So, and, and again, so it's when you, when you, if you're listening, when you hear cultural Christian we're actually talking about someone who is not a true believer, but culturally, they kind of fit in, and they seem to be. So again, it's kind of an interesting concept, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Like some places around the world, like you go, and you're either a Christian or a Muslim. You're either a Christian or a Buddhist. There's there's a very kind of hard distinct line. dividing, mm-hmm. yeah, distinctive line. But here it's not always the case. So what does it really look like on some of our campuses or even in our culture here? You know, we're, in, we're recording this in the state of Alabama. So here in the south, what does it look like um, on our campuses and in our culture today? Let, let me say this first. Um, I, I think that because some people – I think our, our cultural moment today does not like judgment, does not like people to make hard statements about anything. Yeah. So even the fact that we would say – there are some people who claim to be Christians that aren't really Christians. That's going to perk some things up in some people's sure. ears yeah. and say, oh, how dare you? You judge me. And what I would say to that is like, I mean, we, we don't get to define what a Christian is. 
Christ does, right? The one whose right. name it is. And he does that in his word. And, and what Jesus said in, in John chapter 3, he said, you must be born again, right? He, he said, you must meet Jesus in a very real way. And the man you once were has to die. And you have to be given new life through repentance and through faith in Christ. Um, you, you can't just call yourself. You, you don't get to define yourself, mm-hmm. right? And, and what I would say is that cultural Christianity, for, for some people, they just don't believe the right thing. Like there are some beliefs that they hold that are just out of accord with Christianity. I mean, I, I was I was looking at this survey recently. Uh, there, there's a ministry called Ligonier Ministries. It's it's a teaching resource that that I just recommend anybody check out. But they do something every couple of years called the State of Theology, where they basically do a big kind of survey research of what is kind of the state of spirituality in the U.S. Twenty six percent. Of, a, of professing Christians, 26% don't believe Jesus was God. 26%, 26%. of professing Christians. Yeah, and, and so First John in, in chapter 3 or 4 somewhere, you know, John says anyone who denies that Jesus has come in the flesh, that spirit is not from God. So for Jesus to come into the flesh, what does that assume? He was God before. Right. Like if you don't embrace that Jesus was both God and man, you might be a lot of things, but you're not a Christian. He really was the Lord. 31% of professing Christians say that God accepts worship of all religions. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the right. life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Um, 38% say the Holy Spirit is a force. He's not a personal being, so they're denying the Trinity. So that there's some things, and, and then, you know, of course, bottom line today, most people just don't really understand the gospel. Right, like, you, like, like in in Galatians, Paul says anyone who relies on the works of the law is under a curse. Meaning that anybody who thinks they're going to get into heaven, they think they're going to have their sin covered by what they do. They're under a curse, right? Because right. the Christian belief is that Jesus came, He lived the life in our place, He died the death in our place to make us right with God, right? And, but but today, so many Christians, professing Christians. Mm-hmm. They would say, yeah, I think God's going to accept me because I live better than this other guy. Or I think God's going to accept me because I do some religious things. Because of fill in the blank. Yeah, right. right. So so most people in in our culture, when you really get down to it, and this is how I was too. This is not a state of judgment. This is how somehow I was around it, but I missed it, that Jesus really is everything, that he really did do all the work. And my only hope is to come to him and say, Jesus, you and you alone can save me. Trust him to do it. And And then I think, so some people just have, have beliefs that are not in accordance with Scripture, and I think that's rising in, a, in an age of biblical illiteracy where fewer and fewer people grew up around the Bible and around the church. But I think for a lot of people, they might even say the right things, but, but their belief is no different than the, the belief of Satan and the demons because they haven't really been born again. Like, they might say, yeah, Jesus is the only way to God. They might say, yeah, Jesus is my Savior. They might say, yeah, they no, might I'm say, a I, I was saved at this age. That's right. I, mean, I, had, I had some kind of religious experience right. at some point. Well, Jesus has some things to say about that, too. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus says in Matthew 7, there's going to be a lot of people who come to him on judgment say, day and say, Lord, I did all these things. I, and he even called him Lord. I believe you're the Lord. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Mm. Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells like several parables in a row where he's distinguishing, you know, true Christians from counterfeits because he was talking to Pharisees. He, were talking, he was talking to people who were kind of the culturally religious people of the day. 
right? And it was yeah. always a matter of, is there the fruit of loving God in their life? Is there the fruit of hating sin in their life? Is there the fruit of righteousness in their life? Um, you know, Galatians 5 just makes it very clear that when someone truly comes to know Jesus, their life changes. Mm-hmm. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, and all the rest. Um, so I think, you know, a lot of the times you ask, like, how does that look in our context? I mean, I, I think sometimes, you know, it, it looks like, you know, if, if, if you're if we're having lunch with one of our fraternity brothers, you know, and, and we know the kind of lifestyle they're living, you know, we, we know that there's just a continual pattern of just gross immorality, you know, in their lives. Not saying that like it happens and they feel convicted of it, but just like their life is defined mm-hmm. by just overt rebellion against the law of God, but they're claiming to be a Christian. Right. You know, that, that's, that's the thing. Or it might, I mean, I, I, I did a lot of ministry with the football team. Uh, at UNA, and and there was a there was a guy on the team, you know, who was just he was so like okay with his sin, meaning like he flaunted, like he like it was, there was just nothing hidden. It was boasted about all over the place. But he'd always say things like, "But I know God's got me." Yeah, you know, I talked to yeah, another fraternity. Yeah, you hear that a lot. Another fraternity guy said he came. And he said, "Michael, I got everything. I got a girl I'm going to marry. I got a good job lined up. I got everything I need." Except the spiritual part. What can Jesus do for me? Mm. You know, so I think I think a lot of the time that kind that that's just kind of evidence that, you know, people have not really met the real Jesus because when you meet him, he changes everything and he becomes the center. Exactly. You know, and I, I really love what you said about um there's probably there probably are some people listening who are thinking, you can't judge someone. That's wrong. You'd put putting people in a box and, and things like that. But I think what we're really getting here, what we're really getting at here, and why this is such an important topic, the, the main reason uh, we are recording this podcast right now is, you know, you see here a lot of times, don't judge people. and But, the, but the, at the same time, we are called as Christians to make judgments. And not that we, and you got to distinguish those two. We're, it's not that we are judging and condemning but we're called to make judgment calls. Like anytime you make any sort of uh, observation, you are making a judgment, right? That's correct. Not in a, not in a, I hate this person, so I'm going to judge them, but in a, hmm, I see this person's life, this friend of mine. I, I don't know if they're actually a Christian. So let me, let me give a little bit of my story about why this is so important, and then I really want to hear kind of more of your thoughts on this, Cody. When I was a freshman – the guy that led me to Christ, shout out Josh, Etris, if you're listening out there, um, he was able to, you know, he was getting to know me over the course of months. And I remember we were sitting at a Chick-fil-A one time, and we were going through a Bible study. And he said, Tyler, based off of everything you've read this semester, would you say that you're a Christian? And I was like, yeah, of course. I'm like, that's me. I, I, I claim to be a Christian. I remember putting it on my Facebook profile. I'm a Christian, right? And in the most like loving but also firm way possible, really bold, he's like, well, listen, man, based off the way you live your life, the way you speak, who you are, I love you, but you are not a Christian. There's just no evidence in your life that Jesus has changed your heart at all. So what we're really getting at here, like in that moment, I was pretending to be a Christian, and I even thought I was. It's not like I was openly living a lie like knowingly living a lie, I really thought in that moment, that freshman semester, I was a Christian, right? And I think a lot of the people who are, who we would maybe categorize as cultural Christians genuinely believe they are, and you know who needs to help them to identify that they really haven't surrendered to the real Jesus? Us. 
Christians who have the ability to get to know them and ask good questions and really get to the bottom of helping them understand the gospel so that they can make a decision to follow Christ, you know? So kind of going on a rant here, Cody, but um, anything I say there that kind of... <laughs> no, that, it doesn't sound like you need me very much, man. I think we're good now. <laughs> All right, can we wrap up the pod? <laughs> <laughs> what I would say is I, th- I think you're 100% right. I, I think I, I think even Ben Weber might have recorded that like versus college students take out of context thing recently and that was the judge part was one of the yeah. was one of the episodes and that's totally right. It's like we're we're not called to judge in the sense that like we are the judge who makes a pronouncement that this person is going to be condemned for eternity. Right. What we're doing is we're we're just re- in light of the eternal God breathed truth of the word. We're recognizing things. We're just affirming what the Holy Spirit has breathed in in the pages of scripture. And yeah. so I think you're totally right. And I think this is a big deal because I think again if if we were going to Egypt, you know, then the vast majority of people there would identify as Muslim. You know, I think if we were going to India, the vast majority of people there would identify as Hindu. What I would say is that in the US, quote unquote cultural Christians, that is the big the biggest segment of lost people in our culture. That like th- there is not a bigger demographic of people who don't know Jesus than the people in our in particular our southern culture yeah. who who claim that they do. And and man, I just want to say this. I mean, this is just there's a lot of reasons that's heavy. I mean, probably 95% of the people that I've shared my my faith with over the last, you know, 15 years since knowing the Lord um, have, have identified as a Christian, you know, and most of the ones who have become Christians, they didn't come from Buddhist backgrounds or atheist yeah, backgrounds. Yeah. They came from cultural Christian backgrounds. That's right. Yeah. One of the reasons it's heavy for me at this point is because this is what we're exporting to the rest of the world. And so in Africa, particularly sub-Saharan Africa, you have the Muslim North, but everything's but below the Sahara Desert vast majority, maybe even as much as here in the southern U.S., identifies as Christian. But but here's what's going on. It's not. A, a lot of it is the kind of religion that says, come to God and he'll give you whatever you want. The health, the wealth, the prosperity. You know, you put, you put faith in God and he won't let your pigs die. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you come to faith in the Lord and he'll You'll give you... You'll never experience anything bad. That's right. Yeah. So it's that kind of faith. And a lot of the time, it's actually gotten mixed with like a lot of cultural religions. Like, so for instance, you have a lot of people in African villages that are into witchcraft. They have witch doctors who are basically like the channels between them and the divine that has to appease all the spirits by making sacrifices. And people are actually doing this. Yeah. But wow. they're still identifying as Christian mm-hmm. when, when they're literally engaging in satanic things. In fact, there's a guy, in, there's an African pastor named Conrad Mbewe, who he's in Zambia, and he said that one of the reasons why the, the prosperity gospel, this American false religion has gotten over there, is because witch doctors and prosperity preachers are basically the same thing. <laughs> they both have a direct channel to God. Mm-hmm. You come to them, give them whatever they want with money or whatever, and they find a way to get God's quote-unquote blessings to you. Right. And so this isn't just something that's an American problem. Like this whole idea of Jesus not really being Lord, this whole idea of needing something besides Jesus to save my soul, that's our chief export to the rest of the world mm-hmm. a lot of the times when it comes to the church. And so it's just it's just really heavy. And yeah. I, yeah. Wow. 
Man, this is a fascinating conversation. And I do love, again, that you made the distinction earlier about when we say cultural Christianity, it's it's important for people to know, you know, we are – you and I live in the south. At least right now you're about to leave the country. But we live in the, the southern part of the United States, which culturally here is much different than – like cultural Christianity might look might look much different than – somewhere else in the world, right? Just like you're saying, sub-Saharan Africa. Um, so that's good. Let me ask you it's this, It's not man. the new under the sun. Yeah. Again, Jesus, the primary people that he was rebuking back in the day, the religious primary people, people he was sharing with, yeah. they were religious people. There weren't many yeah. atheists in first century Jerusalem. So <laughs> sure. this whole idea of, of engaging and evangelizing people who claim to know God, but they don't, yeah. that's as old as our Savior himself. Well, let me ask you about engaging then. So what sort of tips, like people who are listening to this undoubtedly have friends, right, who you know, are cultural Christians. Like they would claim to be a Christian. They might even go to church, grew up in church, went to youth group, can tell you a lot of the right answers, but ultimately are not living lives where it's evident in any way that they have surrendered to Jesus. So, So how do we... How do we engage with that culture now on our campuses? What sort of advice would you give to the young staff or the even the, the student leaders who are listening to this? I mean, I think it can be really challenging because there, there's a sense of which, like, when you're sharing your faith with an atheist, there's such a clear division between y'all that y'all can just talk about where you differ the whole time. Okay. If you're sharing with a Muslim, you can talk about the way to Christ, and they can talk about the five pillars, and it's 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 a conversation. But when you're talking to people who identify as Christians but are clearly not, there's so many murky waters because y'all are going to use a lot of the same language most likely. And again, there's what you were talking about earlier. There's the whole offense when it gets to that point for them to realize that they don't really know the Lord. Mm, you know, So yeah. it, it can be really challenging. Um, I, I, let me just say a couple things. I think, one, we have to remember what has to happen in their heart. We, we have to remember that the Holy Spirit's got to come and, and do something supernatural. Jesus said you must be born again. If you know the story in Isaiah chapter 6, you know, Isaiah has this vision of the Lord. He sees God in all of his glory and all of his holiness. And his response is not, hey, that's cool. What can you do for me? You know, his response is he falls down on his face. He says, woe is me. I'm ruined. I, I am deserving of eternal judgment. Right. And then he gets the message that there's actually been a sacrifice from the altar that's been made for you. Your sin's been atoned for. And so it's like Isaiah experiences the gospel in an Old Testament form. And his immediate response is, Lord, I'll do whatever you want. Right. It's that surrender. Man, that's got to happen in everyone's heart, whether they come from an atheist background, a Buddhist background, or a culturally Christian background. Like, they have to see Jesus for who he really is. They have to see themselves for who they really are. And the Holy Spirit's got to do some kind of work inside them that's going to cry out in faith mm. and surrender to him. And so there's some pressure off with that, that we are not responsible for making the best case <laughs> you know, or having the perfect questions or the perfect verse to like expose them as fake Christians. Right. So we got to pray like seriously, like with any evangelistic conversation, but particularly with this, it's like, we've got to go in praying, Lord, open their eyes. I can just imagine Jesus praying that. Can't you? It's like when he was engaging so many people who thought that were God's people, but they weren't, you know, he go, he go and saying the roads narrow that leads to eternal life and few there are that find it. Mm-hmm. Well, people in Jerusalem probably thought, Hey, all of us are going to find it. Cause we're all, we all worship the same God. Yeah. Jesus knew better. And, and you think about just what drove him, the compassion, Matthew nine, that just broke his heart and drove him to action. We've got to be crying out to the Lord on behalf of our friends. So we got to remember that that's, what's going to happen in their life. And as far as just practically speaking tips on evangelizing, 
man, we we got to let the word do its work. I just want to pause there for a second. Yeah, say it again. We've got to let the word do its work. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing it to the division of joint and marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness. The word of God is a supernatural book. Our questions are not supernatural questions, okay? And so what I would say is is most people on our campuses, particularly in this age, they've never really read the Bible for themselves, much less know how to read it rightly, you know? And so what I would say is one of the best things that we can do for our friends to, like, love them into the kingdom is just starting to read the Bible with them. And if you need help with that, listen, go talk to your CO staff. There's different things that work better in different places. But simply just opening God's word and studying passages about what it really, like who God is, who right. man is, what it really means to know Jesus. We've got to trust the word to do its work, man. Because, again, if we're just having a dialogue, most people are comfortable enough with the lingo that they'll say, oh, yeah, they're a Christian, but they're just a little more extreme than me. Mm-hmm. But I'm still, we're on the same team. We've got to let the word of God do its heart. And so, man, I, w- I would just say I really think the most loving thing that we can do is that. We've got to be patient. There's a sense in which we're tearing a house down by right. helping them get through false beliefs before they get to, you know, mm-hmm. the real thing. And just loving them well, man. We've got something that they don't, you know. And eventually, I just, I really do believe that for anyone the Lord intends to save, the word's going to do its work. And they're going to see in our lives that, that we have the fruit of knowing Jesus. And they're going to want that. And yeah. some are going to come to faith. Amen. Hey Amen. Well, Cody, listen, man, this has been a great discussion. Um, unless you have anything else you got to say, you want to say, we're probably going to wrap it Two up Two great resources. Okay, there, there was a book that was written last year called The Unsaved Christian by a guy named Dean and Sarah. He's a pastor down in Florida. It is a great expose of cultural Christianity with also a lot of really practical tips in engaging different kinds of cultural Christians. Okay. I would also say, if you haven't seen the American Gospel documentaries, this is kind of essentially what they're entirely about. And they're, they're, I think they're some of the best resources that have been produced by the church in recent years, just exposing gotcha. false religion and true faith. It's really beautiful. So those can be a couple resources to, to help you. Awesome. Good word, man. Well, listen, thank you once again for coming on to the podcast, man. I think everyone who listened to this is going to be really blessed by it. So um, we want to encourage you, if you're listening, to please follow us – or excuse me, uh, subscribe to the podcast wherever you are listening – we're on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, maybe a few other places. MySpace? Not on MySpace. <laughs> Man, that Cody, if, if people weren't sure how old you are, they now know. How's that? <laughs> uh, I do want to thank Michael Cody for joining us for uh, this episode. And I do want to thank you for listening to this episode. And uh, with that in mind, we're going to wrap it up here. So thank you once again. We will see you next time for another episode of the Campus Outreach Podcast. Take care. Take care.